If you have been a listener to this Happy Habit podcast for a while, you will have heard me talk about the downsides of social media and being connected to the digital world in general. It's a subject that has stirred my interest even more since the pandemic saw people all over the world confined to their homes and separated from their loved ones while being thrust at the feet of technology for company. So I was especially interested in a new book, Johan Harry's new book called Stolen Focus, which explores how modern life is degrading our quality of life, but especially our ability to retain our focus and basic levels of attention from moment to moment. Some of the findings in this book are simply jaw-dropping and will give you serious pause for thought, as they did for me. So in this episode, we'll dive into some of those findings as we explore Johan Harry's Stolen Focus. Hey, Matthew Norrie here, host of the Happy Habit Podcast. We talk health, we talk well-being every Monday and Thursday. With over 180 episodes in the archive now, I am branching out to include more interviews with people on subjects I think you will find very informative. So those interviews coming up in the near future. And breaking news, I'm also working on a Happy Habit book, which explores some of the many topics I have covered on this podcast over the last two years. That is very exciting and more on that in the coming months. What prompted the author, Johan Harry, to tackle the subject of focus or attention? Well, it was several things. One of which was observing his own godchild's descent from a bright-eyed and curious child to a school dropout who spent his days glued to his smartphone, switching between Facebook, TikTok and WhatsApp. His ability to retain conversation seemed to be as fragmented as his attention despite being an intelligent boy. The author's belief is that this fragmented attention is happening to all of us. He talks about bringing his troubled godson as a 19-year-old to Graceland in America, but only on the proviso that he switched off his mobile phone when he got there. Indeed, the moment they arrived at Graceland, they were handed tablets that acted as electronic tour guides. Each visitor seemed to spend the entire tour with their noses buried deep in their tablets instead of being present in the real world in Graceland and experiencing it firsthand with their own eyes. Based on this experience and on his own day-to-day observations, the author arrived at the conclusion that our civilization was busy switching our focus from this to that and unable to give attention to the things that really matter. He spoke to a leading specialist on willpower by the name of Professor Roy Baumeister at the University of Queensland in Australia. He himself admitted his focus had waned in recent years. He was able to read less and less. And this has been mirrored across the world. 57% of us don't read a single book in a typical year now. This degradation in our attention levels is at crisis point. The average American college student switches tasks every 65 seconds. The average adult in the workplace stays on one task for three minutes at a time before their attention is broken. These figures are stark. The author introduces Professor Joel Nigg, a leading expert on children's attention problems. 
He compares our worsening attention crisis to the obesity epidemic. The author believes this is a systemic problem. We are living in a system that, as he calls it, is pouring acid on our attention every single day. Yes, we can take individual responsibility, which involves taking our own measures to enhance our attention. But this ideally must be done in conjunction with systemic changes so that we can heal our broken attention. A life full of distractions is a diminished existence because we can't appreciate what is in front of us and we can't achieve what we want to achieve. Here's a basic stat. Whenever you are doing something and get distracted, it takes on average 23 minutes to get back to the same level of focus you were enjoying prior to being distracted. 23 minutes. So imagine if you are distracted multiple times across your day. It would be impossible to really get anything substantial done. And this is, in fact, exactly what we are all suffering from right now. Individually, we need to address this lack of focus. But as a society, we need to address it too. If, as a society, we possess focus, we are more capable, as a society, of understanding and changing societal problems as they present themselves. The author found he needed to address his own fragmented focus and did so by heading to Cape Cod for three months during which he had absolutely no phone or internet access at all. Did you know the average person spends over three hours per day on their smartphone and they touch their phone over 2,000 times in the space of 24 hours? To help the author fulfil his goal of giving up his phone, he employed a technique called pre-commitment. This is where you affirm you want to be a better version of yourself and you remove temptation to give you the best chance of achieving this goal. This pre-commitment method is very successful. It seems making a pledge to do something actually results in a higher probability of sticking to it. While in Cape Cod and disconnected from his phone and the manic nature of his usual digitally connected daily life back home, he found he was calmer and the pace of his life slowed down substantially. He was no longer getting, as he put it, a constant drip feed of anxiety-provoking factoids because he was no longer constantly consuming panic-inducing news. It turns out that the author's declining attention span is actually something that has been happening across humankind for decades. To illustrate this point, let's look at some research done on Twitter. In 2013, an average topic would remain in the top 50 most discussed Twitter subjects for 17 and a half hours. By 2016, that had dropped to 11.9 hours. People were focusing for shorter periods of time. When they looked at Google and Reddit, they found people focused on a particular topic for less and less time. The trend was accelerating, and when scientists went back in time to spot the rise and fall of interest in new topics over the previous decades, they found this trend has been going on for over 100 years. So our collective attention spans have been shrinking for over a century. What is causing this? Information. Scientists found that the more information you pump in, the less time people have to focus on any individual piece. And today, we are overwhelmed with information. There is too much coming at us from every direction. As a result, the sensation is that the world is speeding up. But at the same time, we are sacrificing depth, because depth takes time. 
so we simply skim and our attention reserves are being exhausted. When people engage in deliberately slow practices like yoga, tai chi and meditation, their ability to focus is enhanced significantly. Going too fast overloads us and our attention suffers. Slowness, the author says, nurtures attention. He then introduces a topic about which I have spoken before, multitasking. The human brain simply cannot multitask, and it's a myth that we can. Indeed, the term multitasking itself is actually a computer term. When people think they are multitasking successfully, they are actually juggling, doing a little bit of this, then moving on and then doing a little bit of something else. They are switching back and forth. But this switching process erodes our focus and our performance drops. And not just that, our IQ temporarily drops by on average 10 points. Switching also harms us because we end up making more mistakes, we're less creative and we actually remember less in the long run. If you want to do things well, focus on one thing at a time. If you're struggling to focus, try doing one task only for 10 minutes, then allow yourself to be distracted for one minute and then resume doing your task for another 10 minutes. This way, you'll strengthen your brain's ability to focus, like exercising any muscle. The author introduces the concept of flow. This is a state whereby we are so absorbed in what we are doing that we lose all sense of ourselves and of time. We are in the zone. It is the deepest form of focus we know of. So how do we tap into this flow state? Well, first, you need a clearly defined goal and resolve to commit to it and nothing else so that you can devote all of your brain power to it. Secondly, it must be an activity that has meaning for you personally. And thirdly, the thing you are doing must be on the edge of your current abilities. Not too easy and not too difficult. Just the right amount of difficulty to challenge you in that moment and to keep you interested. When we acquire a state of flow, we lose self-awareness. Our ego slides away. When we are starved of states of flow, we are not using our greatest capacities. To recover from our loss of attention, we can't just remove distractions. As this just creates a vacuum, we must fill that void with sources that stimulate our states of flow. Let's talk about sleep. When sleep suffers, so does our ability to focus. If you stay awake from, let's say, 6am until 1am the following morning, that's 19 hours. After 19 hours of being awake, you become so cognitively impaired, it's as if you are drunk. As a society, we are sleep-deprived and it's ruining our focus. 40% of us are sleep-deprived at any one time, with only 15% of us waking refreshed in the morning. Since the 1940s, we are actually getting one hour less sleep as a society. Children are faring even worse, losing almost an hour and a half each night. If you aren't sleeping well, your body reads this as an emergency. Our nervous system is fired up, our blood pressure rises, and we want more sugar-rich fast food to give us quick energy. Poor sleep also affects our memory, whereas good sleep helps us problem-solve and repairs damage and removes toxins. Poor sleep means we can't think clearly. Factor in the amount of artificial light we are exposed to and the fact we are staying awake late into the night when biologically and evolutionarily speaking we should be sleeping. And you can appreciate our minds are going to suffer. But from a consumerism standpoint, sleep is the enemy. Because when we are asleep, we aren't consuming. 
or purchasing. We said earlier reading is in serious decline. Reading is actually one of the simplest states of flow that we can experience, and it is sadly being obliterated by our culture of constant distraction. Part of this culture is due to apps like Twitter that force us into conforming to reading and communicating in 280-character tweets. Social media lacks the depth and singular focus needed to comprehend a book, Books nourish us. Social media, meanwhile, feeds the shallower, uglier sides of our human nature. The author makes a fascinating observation about reading, and reading novels in particular, and our individual levels of empathy. When we read novels, we place ourselves into the feet of the protagonist. We literally imagine the world from their perspective. We carry this ability to empathise with us from the page into real life, When we read a lot, we understand people and their emotions better in the real world. This is especially significant with children reading fiction. So when we read fiction, we become more empathetic. When we spend our time on social media, by contrast, we expose ourselves ourselves to bite-sized chunks of various triggering headlines and the ire they invoke in social media users. We become cruder and we become uglier as a result. Why do we have such an attachment to social media anyway? Well, in short, it's because, like a magician, social media apps manipulate our focus in very subtle ways and in the process actually turn us into puppets. We think we are making free and independent choices, but when we log into their apps, we actually aren't. The author tells us that at Google, success is measured by a thing called engagement. The more consumers engage with their apps, the more advertising they see and the more revenue Google makes. As a result, Google and other apps have countless software technicians working away behind the scenes on ways to keep us hooked for longer. Our distraction is their fuel. That's how Google, etc. make their billions. Google alone through prompts, alerts and notifications, interrupts people globally 11 billion times every single day. This is a phenomenal amount of people's time lost to interruptions and distraction. All so Google can make billions in profits. But the question is, how can you put a value on all of that time lost? The answer is you can't. So it's crucial to Google and to other social media apps that they monopolize your attention. This is the whole crux of their business model. You probably never heard of a man called Azaraskin, but he has affected your life without you even knowing it. He's the man who invented a feature called Infinite Scroll. Now, to explain what this is, older internet users will remember when they got to the bottom of a page on the internet they would have to click to move on to the next page. Raskin, though, thought what if the next page simply loaded automatically so that people didn't have to click or make that choice to click into another page. And we see this now on Twitter. You can literally scroll endlessly. And I've found myself to exactly this. Endless scrolling makes it very, very difficult to pull away. The irony is that armed with this knowledge of addictive features like Infinite Scroll, executives at apps like Twitter and Facebook don't actually allow their own children to use their apps. 
You also must be made aware that all the apps are saving your data and using it to curate ads that they show you. These apps actually build up profiles of you that are incredibly accurate, all based on your interaction with their apps and search terms and general web use. These apps are designed to be addictive and to grab our attention and to hold on to it for as long as possible. We have all heard of algorithms. These are mathematical equations designed by tech nerds, essentially to keep us tethered to their apps. These algorithms work far better when we are exposed to negative triggering content. This takes advantage of a natural phenomenon called negativity bias, which we are all prone to due to our fear of threats. The more enraging online content, the more it engages people. And sadly, as the author states, it turns hate into habit. So these apps are destructive towards our attention by virtue of their notifications, their hate and anger promoting algorithms and the fact they are so addictive. These apps are actually making us less intelligent and less rational and less focused all at the same time. The author suggested, and I think he is correct, in his belief that we can't simply rely on our self-discipline to help us moderate our use of these apps. Because they are so cunningly designed, there needs to be a sea change in how these companies derive their income, which means there needs to be a change in how they are allowed to operate. Too often the end user, us, is getting the sole blame for their social media-related stress, And let's be honest, being on social media is stressful. As the author says, you can try have self-control, but there are, as I mentioned, thousands of engineers on the other side of that screen working against you. They want to keep you hooked. We have to take the forces that are stealing our focus and compel them to change. Surveillance capitalism, where our data is used to sell ads to us, should ideally be banned like CFCs were banned in the 1980s for the damage they caused to the ozone layer, or in the same way that lead was taken out of petrol for the damage that it caused. These social media companies should be forced to derive their income from, for example, a subscription model rather than from advertising. This way, they would have to gear themselves towards making us, the users, happy rather than trying to satisfy their advertisers. Notifications could be engineered to be delivered once a day instead of every few minutes. And infinite scroll, well, that could be turned off with a click of a button. Algorithms are also designed to send us down the rabbit hole to keep us online for longer. But they have also been responsible for becoming a toxic influence and radicalizing people in the process. We have seen multiple examples of this across the world. In 2020, the first scientific poll ever conducted into attention took place in Britain and the US. It identified people who felt their attention worsening, with the number one reason being stress. Modern day stress is affecting all of us, including children, and now is being linked with an increase in the prevalence of ADHD in children. Stress causes hypervigilance. We are constantly on alert mode. And when you are alert for danger, your attention suffers. 
Children who have been judged to have experienced substantial stress-inducing trauma were 32 times more likely to suffer from attention and behaviour problems. These children are stressed because, well, they don't feel safe. It's only when you feel safe that you can pay attention in normal ways. This feeds into sleep problems. When we are hyper alert, we find it difficult to wind down at night and get a good night's sleep. Indeed, today, we're sleeping less than we did in 1945. Problems with money also affect our ability to focus. As a consequence of these observations, we now know that anything that reduces our stress levels actually enhances our ability to pay deep attention. We are also working longer hours now than ever before, but we are less productive. The average British worker is only engaged in their job for fewer than three hours per day. The rest of the time they are mentally checked out. They're either bored, distracted or worried about other things. The book promotes the idea of a four-day work week, which enhances levels of engagement, teamwork, productivity and reduces stress levels. And when people work fewer hours, their focus improves. Meanwhile, in America, only 56% of people even take one week off work a year. Much of society equates work-related exhaustion with being successful. It's as if it's a badge of honour. But this is wrong. Businesses can and should change their work practices. And if you think about it, they did exactly this during the pandemic. The book tackles the subject of highly processed foods stealing our attention, suggesting that if we disrupt our minds and bodies by depriving ourselves of essential nutrients, our ability to focus will also suffer. High sugar foods, for example, cause fluctuations in blood sugar levels, which wire us one minute and cause us to crash the next. Stabilizers and preservatives and additives, trans fats were all shown to have a particularly negative effect on children's ability to pay attention. Our brains were simply not evolved to consume such highly processed foods. Eliminate them and your brain will function better, because remember, you are what you eat. Children, the author says, are now playing outdoors far less than they used to. And the problem is children have evolved to play and explore their environment. But through a combination of overprotective parenting, because of misplaced fear and being brought indoors and sitting in front of screens, they are playing outside unsupervised less and less. This affects not just their ability to focus, but also their problem solving and social skills. Further combine this with living in a stressful household, with parents under stress for whatever reason, and any state of calm is denied these children and they can't focus. Parents experiencing less stress are in turn more responsive, comforting and attentive to the concerns of their children. This issue of stress in children and associated hyperactivity and ADHD is more often dealt with through the use of medication rather than treating the origin of the problem holistically. We should be taking the holistic approach, the non-pharmaceutical approach, as often as possible. The author also believes children are being done a disservice in schools, which are geared towards rote learning for the purposes of passing exams. They simply do not stimulate the children's independent thinking and natural desire to explore and create. Being creative builds the foundation of our personality. We feel more alive and experience joy as a result. 
In the traditional schooling system, children's attention is constantly managed through a regime of rote learning of subjects that don't interest them. This is the very definition of being forced to act on extrinsic motivations, that is, motivations outside of us. Whereas it's far easier to focus on intrinsic motivations, that is, things that we are personally interested in. In 2002, the Bush administration in America signed into law the No Child Left Behind policy, which increased standardised testing across the US. But within four years, diagnoses of severe attention problems rose by one-fifth in schoolchildren. Our schools are simply not nurturing our children's innate need to think for themselves, to be creative and to develop mastery over what interests them. In Finland, for example, children don't start school until the age of seven. And when they do, their school day runs from nine until two o'clock. They receive no homework and they sit no tests until their final year. In Finland, only 0.1% of children have attention deficit problems. Johan Harry covers a lot in this book. He is clearly on a personal mission to solve his own attention problems, but his journey is also ours. A lot of the findings he makes about our lives make complete sense. We are overloaded with information. The online world has grown exponentially in importance in our lives, but this growth has gone unchecked. And we are only beginning to understand the negative effects of of social media use and general internet use on our minds. While adults are trying to cope with an ever-stressful world, our children are being exposed to growing levels of stress themselves, a poor diet, and are being denied the opportunity to play and learn as they have evolved to do. Ultimately, if we are going to tackle the current epidemic and loss of focus, we need to fundamentally alter how we interact with the online world. Supported by wholesale changes in how online companies and social media platforms derive their income, so as they aren't trying to keep us online as much as possible. Our diets must improve and we must actively engage with living in the real world, like reading books and getting outdoors and connecting with our environment. Stolen Focus is a fascinating read and will give you pause for thought in every single chapter. You will doubtless examine your own habits and perhaps arrive at the conclusion that your own attention has been stolen on more than a few occasions. The book calls for societal change in order to bring about wholesale substantive changes so that our focus benefits. Now, this will take time, but I do believe that we can make changes to our own behaviours at the level of the individual. That can and will make some, some difference and bring some benefit in the form of improved focus and attention. But this is something that we must apply with a great deal of discipline to our behaviours on a daily basis. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of the Happy Habit Podcast. Until next time, stay happy. (music) 